All right, well, we are on our fifth and final week of a series that we've been doing here tonight called Greener, uh, as in the grass is greener, discovering contentment and joy in everyday life. And we've been talking about this whole idea that, that uh, we are discontent as a culture, right? We've talked about that again and again. We tend to believe that happiness oftentimes and contentment are based on external kinds of things, things that are out there as if like things like, man, if only I had more money, if only I had a different spouse, if only I had a different job, if only I lived someplace else, if only fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. Then my life would be better. Then I would be content. And yet with what we've talked about over and over from both God's book and from all kinds of research is that that's simply not true, is it? We tend to believe things like that. We think, this, we think, man, if only I looked more like her, right? If only I had her hips, I'd kill for those hips, right? If only, if only I had that job, if only I was more successful. But like I said, over and over and over again, we see and we've been confronted with the truth that that's simply not true. The studies and God's book as well tell us that, that, that externals don't determine happiness. External things, changing the circumstances don't determine my level of happiness and contentment. But instead, we've said uh, contentment and joy is an inside job. And it begins with the relationship with Jesus. And then it comes, it's, we can train and we can learn, we can discover and practice even um, certain things that will help us live in increased levels of contentment and joy. I've been referring for the last five weeks to some studies that have been done over the last 30 years uh, from places like Harvard, Stanford, uh, what is it, some, it's Penn State or Penn, I can't remember which one, and, and UC Berkeley have been doing this 30-year-long uh, research project on what it is that brings contentment and joy to our lives. And uh, they've come up with actually a list, there's a whole thought, train of thought, train of psychology um, called positivistic psychology that's stemmed from their work. And uh, they've, they've written all kinds of books and published all kinds of things. And they've said, basically, we can guarantee the stats in the studies would indicate that there's nine things. That if you do these nine things, they would say, we guarantee you will be happier and you will experience increased levels of contentment in your life. You curious what the nine things are? Yes. All right, let's look at them. I, I thought I'd put them up this week. These are my paraphrases, but this is pretty close to what they say, almost exactly. The first one, they said, use trials as opportunities for growth. Cultivate optimism in your life. Embrace the present. Practice forgiveness. Choose generosity. Nurture relationships. Express gratitude. And practice, in their language, spirituality. And they talk about sort of feeding your soul. They say if you do those nine things, they say it's pretty much a lock. It's pretty much a guarantee that you will experience greater levels of joy and happiness in your lives and, and live with a greater sense of contentment. And what we've said over the last five weeks as well, just said, you know what? They think this is like cutting edge. The smartest people in our country, right, have done a 30-year-long project. And you know what they've discovered? They've discovered the same stuff that God's been telling us for the last 6,000 years about how life works best. And so throughout this series, we've hit the majority of the things on that list and looked at them from a biblical perspective to try and discover the life that God has for us because it's good. It's something that we've we discovered that life and joy and contentment, it's not found on the other side of the fence. It's not that the grass is greener in somebody else's life. It begins with the relationship with Jesus and stems from living out these biblical values in our world and in our lives and in every part of, of, of what we say and do. 
Today I want to wrap up the series by talking about what, what I've said is God's best-selling secret for satisfaction. This topic is pretty much countercultural, and uh, you'll think, I mean, if we didn't just look at this list, you'd think that I was making this stuff up. But according to the Bible, according to all this research, it is absolutely critical. It's a foundational piece to finding uh, freedom from discontentment and discovering satisfaction for our souls. Any guesses as to what it is? We're going to be talking about this topic of generosity today. Okay, now as soon as I say that, there are some of us here that go, oh, here we go. You know, we're in church, and now the pastor's going to be talking about money stuff again. He's coming after our hard-earned, you know, preacher boys up there coming, going after our hard-earned money. But the kind of, of generosity stuff that we're talking about today has nothing to do with what the church needs, and it has everything to do with what your soul needs and what we need as followers of Christ. What we need as human beings. It's how life works best. And so I'm going to ask you to sort of just crack the door of your heart, to just give this a shot this morning, just to, just to sort of leave your mind open just a little bit, just to consider if what all this research says and what God says on this topic, if, if, if they might be on to something, okay? Maybe there's something to this whole generosity thing. Well, I read this week through um, four or five more research studies based on this positivistic psychology stuff that I, I was talking about. And four of these studies from USC, Harvard, University of Zurich, and Notre Dame all studied the connection between happiness and contentment and generosity. And the results were just cool. They're just phenomenal. In these studies, the, researcher, the researchers gave hundreds of people money and they told them, they said, okay, here's the thing. We're going to give you a, a you know, certain amount of money, and you can go out. You can spend it however you want. You, if you want, you're welcome to walk out the doors and just blow it on yourself. Just whatever it is that your heart desires, whatever it is that you want, just go for it. Go in that direction. Or if you so choose, you can take that money, and you can go outside of these doors, and you can give it to somebody who's thinking you can help another person. And they said, completely up to you. You know, There's no right or wrong answer to that kind of thing. Well, they also hooked him up to sort of a, it's a modified MRI machine that monitors brain activity, right? And they sent out, like I said, hundreds of people. One study alone had 400 people that they did this with. Another one had like 1,400. They did the same kind of experiment with different places all around the world. And here's what they found. This was kind of crazy. The people that gave their money away, those, those that practiced generosity, they said it, impact, it impacted the brain's reward center, and it caused feelings of happiness, joy, and even euphoria, they said. In fact, the researchers likened it to the high that people get from cocaine. They said it's an, it, it's an extreme reaction of pleasure, they said, but, it's, but unlike drugs, it's not a short-term effect, but it's a long-term effect that people experience who are practicing and putting into practice generosity. It's that strong. Those that blew it on themselves, they said, didn't really have that much of a reaction. The happiness function, the reward function of the brain wasn't really accessed when they just blew the money on themselves. Isn't that fascinating? Researchers concluded that acts of financial generosity makes a physiological impact on people, resulting in feelings of happiness, well-being, and even contentment. It's not a short-term, but a long-term long thing. They said when people are generous, hormones are released, released that create deep feelings of contentment. A Notre Dame study called, uh, that was written into a book called The Paradox of Generosity found that those that gave at least 10% of their income away over the long haul were significantly happier than those who kept it all and blew it on themselves. Fascinating. Another study from the National Institute on Mental Health 
found that generosity not only makes you happier, but helps you fight stress, improves your immune system function, extends a person's lifespan so you live longer, and acts as an antidote to pain. It also improves your relationship, they said, and gives you a higher degree of satisfaction to life. Isn't that crazy? Simply from giving. Could it be, friends, as, as I read this research, I find myself asking, could it be that maybe Jesus, that maybe the Bible is on to something when they talk about generosity? Listen to some of these, uh, some of these words straight from the lips of Jesus. Acts 20, 35 is quoting Jesus when they said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Which again, this is one of those things that we've probably heard before, you know, Saw it in Sunday school, maybe with a flannel graph and a little, you know, flannel person of Jesus stuck to a wall or something, right? It, whatever. But, like, it's one of those things that you can hear. But, like, have you ever stopped to think about it? Jesus said, you know what? It's better. We talked about a couple weeks ago that the word blessed, maybe the best trans translation that we have in, our in today's day and age would be happy, right? Happy is the person who gives. It's, it's happier. It's better. It's more filling to give than to get. Do you think that's true? Now, before you answer that, let me, just, let me just put it this way. Do you think your lifestyle would suggest that that's true? Do you believe that? Not just up here, but in real life. Do you believe it's better to give than to get? Probably yes, probably no, right? <laughs> probably we're, we're a little bit of a mix of both of those kind of things. It's fascinating. It's better, it's more blessed to give. It's better to give, Jesus says. Let's skip over that next one, Cal. I'm going to get for sake of time. Let's go to Luke 6. Let's do another one. This is Jesus talking. He says, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, quote, quote, lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But he says, but do this, but love your enemies, Jesus tells his followers. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind, he is generous, both to the, to the grateful and the ungrateful and the wicked. Straight out of the mouth of Jesus. He's talking about giving. He's talking about living our lives with sort of extreme kinds of generosity. Stuff that's jaw-dropping. Like, why in the world would I give to people that I didn't think would give, would give back to me? Right? That's like... That's like mind-numbing for us. Like, what? Why would I lend stuff out if I wasn't sure I'd get it back? Jesus says, when you do that, you're more like God than any other time, probably. You're, you're more like Jesus than any other time because he is gracious. He is generous to those that we think maybe deserve it and to those of us who don't. He's generous again and again and again. Do you know that God talks more about generosity and giving than any other value in the Bible? Big, the, big, the big three that we think of are faith, hope, and love, right? Values that are, uh, that are talked about. Love is the second most uh, talked about value in the Bible. It's, it's talked about some 700 plus times. But here, the word give, I read this week, and I discovered this week, is used 2,285 times in the Bible. Give. There's something about it that's so significant that God repeats it and talks about it again and again and again. He talks about the way Jesus gave his life. 
for his for the church for us for people that were undeserving for people that he loved he talks about right how the way that god has given to us again and again and again and likewise he tells his followers you know where life is found you know where contentment and joy and blessedness blessing comes from it comes from having a heart like god's it comes when we are generous to others when we give crazy according to god generosity is key to experiencing the kind of life, the kind of contentment, the kind of joy that he desires for us. And yet, that is not really our reality for most of us, is it? The stats would say that the average church-going American, which at these days uh, equates to 15% of the population, uh, attends church two times a month or more, right? Two times, so that's 15% of the population. Even those that are in church, they would say this, the, the, the national average is they give about 1.8% of their income um, to the church or to other charitable organizations, 1.8%. It's been, uh, they've had study after study after study that have shown, you know, we, we spend more money during the year leaving tips for waiters and waitresses at restaurants than we give to God. That's our reality. We know, I, I would say we as, a, as the church in America know very little about generosity, and what I would suggest to you is maybe this is a huge reason why there's, we live with so much discontentment in our lives. It's because we focus our lives, even though we know Jesus says it's more blessed to give, we live as though it's better to get. Give me, give me, give me more, 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 more. And it feeds the discontentment cycle in our lives. Look with me uh, real quick at 1 Timothy 6. I think this is a fascinating uh, passage. We're just going to hit it real quickly here. But it says this. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, It's just a, a perspective maker here. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. That'll be enough for us. We'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap. And in the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. That, that phrase just kept hitting me this week. Pierced themselves with many griefs. Have any of us ever pierced ourselves with many griefs? Have, have any of us ever made foolish financial decisions and out of greed or desire or even just getting swept away by a really good salesman or something? Have you ever been swept away and pierced yourself with many griefs? I was uh, I was talking with somebody yesterday, actually I've heard of somebody, I'll put it that way, uh, yesterday that uh, that got themselves into some financial trouble. They, they charged up some credit cards and that kind of stuff and uh, and got to the point where it, they were stretched incredibly thin, couldn't really pay their bills. They started getting behind, so they thought, oh, I know what to do, I'll take care of it. So they went and got some payday loans to try and be able to pay their credit card, right? And then uh, they were able to buy themselves, they, they thought enough space that they went out and bought a new vehicle. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, the payday loans started coming through. You wanna guess, guess what the interest rate was on the payday loan? It was, I think they might have missed a couple payments in this too. It, it came to over 400%. We, we, we did a debt snowball thing, and when you put it in, it showed up as an error and said, actually, you'll never pay this off. 
they've pierced, can you imagine the weight? Because now all of a sudden they can't pay all their bills and they're getting the debt collection calls and people are hounding them and they're coming after them and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm not saying maybe we haven't gone to that extreme, but I think all of us probably can identify with that. So, yeah, have you ever made, can we, can we do kind of a group confession time? Have you ever made a really stupid financial decision? Have you ever purchased something and had buyer's regret, right, remorse? Have you ever put something on the credit card that you shouldn't have and now all of a sudden you can't pay it? Now you're paying it every month and there's regret? You, how many of us can say, you know, there's been a time in my life when I've pierced myself with many griefs financially? Can we say that? Yeah, probably all of us, right? There's been times like that for all of us. We tend to, I mean, we, we get swept away by that kind of thing. We tend to think that it's more blessed to get, right? To have than to give. And so we start racking stuff up and we pierce ourselves with many griefs. We think it's better to get, but statistically it's not true. Joy, contentment never comes with that posture, right? Uh, there's a U.S. News and World Report um, study that they did a number of years ago that, that surveyed people all over the spectrum, people from people that make about $10,000 a year to people that make $250,000 and more. And they asked each one of the people in the spectrum, they said, you know, how is your current income? Is it enough for you? Or in order to be content, do you think you need more? And they said, they, this is what they found. People that, that made about $25,000 a year said that it would take around $54,000 a year for them to have enough, for them to be content. Now listen to this. People who made $100,000 a year said it would take about $192,000 a year for them to have enough and be content. You know what they concluded from that? It's never enough, right? No matter how much you have, for, they, they found the exact same thing for people who made $10,000 a year to those who made $250,000 a year. They said they would take roughly double whatever it is that I currently have. Whatever it is that I currently make, it would take twice as much and then it would be enough. Can I just say, no it wouldn't. Because contentment does not come from this. Con contentment and joy I know it's countercultural, but it comes from the opposite. It's not from what we get, but according to the Bible, according to the research, it comes from what we give. Do you hear that? Like I said, I know it's, this is un-American, right? This is the, the anti-American dream, but it doesn't come from what we get. It comes from what we give, and that's what we're going after today. Statistically, happiness in our country has not risen since the 1950s. The average American is about as happy today as they were in the 1950s, even though our income and our standard of living has between doubled and tripled. Our happiness, our contentment has stayed the same. You know what has risen at the same rate as our income? Depression and anxiety. Friends, it's not what Life and contentment comes from what Give. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the page now. I want to. I want to dig into a passage of scripture. It's from Second Corinthians, um, chapter eight and nine. I just want to kind of walk through it. I'll make some comments as we go. But this whole section is on generosity and contentment and joy. I just want you to hear it. I want you to. I want to paint these pictures for you as we go through this. Second Corinthians, starting with verse eight, or chapter eight, with verse one. Uh, let me just read. Like I said, we'll just kind of walk through this together. Paul is the writer, 
He's uh, writing to the Corinthian church. He says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, listen to this, it, it, their poverty and their joy welled up into rich generosity. Let me back off and just give you just a little bit of backstory here. The Macedonian churches in this day and age when this was written was uh, were the poorest churches in the world. They were, they, it, was, it would be the equivalent of like, I don't know, maybe the church in Haiti today or the church in... Pick a poor country in Africa or a poor country in Central or South America or something. I mean, it would be like that. So the, the Macedonian churches were the poorest churches in the world. And then what happened is there was a famine that happened in Jerusalem, which had been kind of the seat of power and where wealthy people lived. And a famine swept in and suddenly the, the church in Jerusalem, many, many, many people began to experience poverty, began to experience extreme need. They didn't have food. And so what happened was these churches in Macedonia, because they understand poverty, right? They took up a huge offering and they sent it to the church in Jerusalem. And it, I mean, it was like a jaw-dropping kind of thing. So again, you need to picture, you know, one-room huts, right, with tin roofs, if anything, or maybe tree branch roofs kind of thing. And they're giving like an extremely generous offering to the church in Jerusalem. So that's kind of what's happening there. They are sending this kind of offering. Verse 3. It says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Yeah, sorry about the screens, having a computer problem. If you want, you can take out the Ignite Church app, by the way. If you tap on uh, message notes, you can follow along uh, with the scriptures and stuff. Otherwise, you can just listen up here. <laughs> That's fascinating. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier, uh, had earlier made a, 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 be, a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, he says to the believers in Corinth. Now the thing that sort of strikes me in this passage is that generosity is not a matter of income. Okay, and the reason I say this because I hear this come out of people's mouth, and I think it sometimes as well, right? I mean, I think we all do. Where we think, man, if only I made more money, then I could be generous. If only, right? If I if I got a bigger raise, if I was Bill Gates or if I was whatever, then I would be more generous. Then I could have freedom to give more. And can I just tell you, statistically, it's a lie. The more you make, statistically in America, the more money you make, the lower the percentage you give away. I read a, a thing just this morning, I hesitate to share it, but I read a thing just this morning of Bill Gates, they did this huge sort of uh, thing in the, uh, in the newspapers and, and online because he gave away 5% of his income, of, of what he made, 5%. And to be honest, it, it's a tiny little amount for somebody that has, what, 80 to 100 billion dollars. He gave away 5%. And I'm like, statistically, it's not true. The more in America, the more you make, the lesser percentage you give. Those people that make $25,000 a year give a higher percentage of their income away than people that make 250000 It's true. Giving and generosity is not 
an income issue. It doesn't require you to have exorbitant amounts of income. What if God's secret to you for experiencing greater levels of peace and contentment and joy in your life involves not so much getting, but giving? What if he wants you to be generous wherever you are right now? Whatever you make or don't make right now. What if he just what if he wants to create a generous heart in you no matter your circumstance? And he's gonna use that to bring about blessing and joy and contentment in your life. I shared a couple weeks ago about some friends of ours. Uh, we'll see, maybe we can get a picture up of them here before we're done. But uh, a couple that uh, I, I have known and have worked with, just friends of ours, that just, I think more than maybe anybody else I know, this, this woman and this couple just exudes joy. They exude contentment. Yeah, they're, they are, in fact. And uh, they have gone through very rough seasons of life. In fact, they have been, uh, they have uh, been on the short end of downsizing, like again and again and again. I mean, to the point where their bosses were weeping because they didn't want to didn't want to do it, but they didn't really have a choice kind of thing. I mean, uh, through no nothing on their part, and they have continued to walk and grow in contentment. If you if you were to look in their into their lives and look in their windows in the midst of this kind of thing, most days you would see joy. And you would see a kind of contentment that's jaw dropping. Well, I uh, shared with you guys uh, last week, just, it had been a rough week for us, um, and we didn't get a paycheck, and uh, you know, there was some rough kind of stuff going on, and so we, we were uh, kind of at our wit's end, and so we'd sent out a prayer request to some supporters and some friends and partners, just people that we love, and there's maybe, I don't know, a few hundred people that got, that got and we were just asking, hey, this is what's happening, could you pray for us? So it's just kind of the only thing. Well, uh, who do you suppose the first person was to contact us that wanted to give? It was these guys, right? They, and in, in their words, they said, we have a we gift that we'd like to send your way just to encourage you and let you know that God hears and he cares and we're with you and that kind of thing. And I, I sent back a, a text saying, man, we love you guys so much. I mean, we're so encouraged by your faith and whatever else. And I'm like, but... but I'm like, I know, I mean, you guys don't have it to give either, and we're, we'll be fine, you know, we don't need to, to do that. And uh, she texted me back and said, let's see if I can find my quote here. She texted me back and said, uh, she said this, she said, 2 Corinthians 8, bro, don't you dare steal our joy in giving. <laughs> she says, and, and she went on, she said, we know what it feels like to pour, to pour yourselves out and to miss out on money, and with a family, it amplifies, uh, doing without, but God sees, he approves, and it's our joy to help. Isn't that cool? I, I, I look at that and I think, man, do you think it's an accident that they're the most joy-filled people we know? No accident. You want to know why? Because life isn't found in getting. Contentment doesn't come from more, more, more. Joy and contentment come as we develop a heart like that, a generous heart, a heart that looks like the generosity of God. All right, we better keep going. Oh, um, <laughs> let's jump ahead to verse 8 through 9. It says this. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, he says to the Corinthian church, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. This is a freebie, but we give to what we love. We give to what we love. So I want to test the sincerity of your love by uh, comparing with the earnestness of others. For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake, 
he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. I love this part. I mean, I love just the imagery and the reminder. Paul's saying, you know what? He's like, yeah, we're talking about you and saying, yeah, we want you to, to show your love for God and show your love for others, right? Jesus says the two most important values, the two most important things in life are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love who? Your neighbors as yourself, right? Love God, love us. Everything in life kind of stems from that. This is the most important stuff. He says, I want you to, I want you to exude that in your generosity. I want it to be evident that you love God and that you love others. But he goes on to say, but, but this is where it stems from. The reason that we are generous, the reason that we're called to be generous, the reason that, you know, all this kind of stuff is he's like, because Christ was so, God was so generous to us. He's like, use Jesus as your example on how to live. Use Jesus as your example on how to give. Though he was rich, meaning, what did Jesus have? Everything. Everything. That is the right answer, right? <laughs> he had everything. Jesus was there at creation. He spoke, right? God, right? He spoke and the world came into being. He has never been in need in his life. Right? He had never been in need in his life because everything was his. If he needed something, he created. He wouldn't need, need it anymore, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole deal. Though he was rich, it says, because he loved God, because he loved you so much, he became poor. He gave it up to come to earth, to live and to die, to pour out his life so that you and I could become rich, so that we could become rich in forgiveness so that we can become rich in being restored back to God, so that we can become rich and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are headed for heaven, and one day we will enter into his joy and get to be with him forever. He says, use that as an example. You want to know how, how you should live, how you should spend your money? He's like, be like Jesus, right? Be like Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor out of love so that others can become rich. That's an amazing, it's a jaw-dropping kind of generosity that God gave for us, you know, did for us because God is so generous. He gave extravagantly. He gave his best to us, and that's how you and I are to live as well. Well, what happens as we <laughs> learn to to, to, to kind of step into that kind of generosity as we learn to, to experience that and, to, and find life in giving rather than getting. Well, look, let's go on here. Verse uh, chapter 9, starting verse 6 through 7, says this. Gives us a little bit more before we get to the rewards. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God kind of paints a, two different pictures of ways to live. Again, all in the context of generosity, all in the, on the context of giving. He says, he says, well, you can sow reluctantly or you can sow generously, right? The reluctant sower. So it's a farming, right? You guys get this, right? It's a farming kind of metaphor. And he says, you can either be the kind of person who, who takes a whole, you know, a whole bag of seeds and you take one at a time. You wander around in a field, maybe you make a little hole, you put one seed in. 
And then maybe you kind of go on with your life a little bit more. You walk around, you come to another spot, you make a little hole, you drop one seed. And he's like, you can, you can do that. But if you, if you plant that way, and you planted a whole field that way, just here and there, just one at a time, one little seed here, one little seed there, what would you expect to reap? How's the harvest going to be? Pretty farce, don't you think? There's like one corn stalk coming up here. There's like one corn stalk coming up there. Like, really? You get to harvest time. Like, really? Is that it? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, instead, there's another way to live. He says, I want you to, to sow extravagantly. The other picture that he does, that he has, is sort of like grabbing handfuls of seed and flinging it, right? I love the, uh, the end of this uh, verse 10, or verse uh, 7 there says, uh, for God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, it means God loves a hilarious giver. It's, it's talking about the extravagance of the gift. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, reaching in the back and flinging it everywhere. Like, flinging seed everywhere. Even when you're like, man, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough left over. But just take it and just throw it out onto the field. He's like, when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity, don't be this dude, right? Don't be... Don't be putting one in the ground. No. He said, instead, be extravagant. Fling it out. Be generous. Let that be the legacy of your life. Let that be the model, the model of Christ that was rich but gave it all away. He's like, live your life like that. That you, that you give. I mean, is he talking financially? Yes. But is he talking in other ways too? Yeah. What if, what if life is more about what we give away, even of ourselves, our time, our, our passions, our energy, our gifts, you know, our, our money, our income, the stuff that we own. What if it's more about sharing and giving and welcoming and loving than it is about receiving? He's like, live your life that way so extravagantly. And when you do it, there will be a harvest, a rich harvest. Oh, do you get the picture? <clears throat> With me? Yeah. All right. God loves a hilarious giver. He loves a joyful giver. When, when you and I step into this, you know, I'm going to live my life that way. Not this way, but I'm going to live my life that way, right? Sowing seeds of generosity throughout my life, throughout the world, throughout all the relationships that people that are around me. I want to love God and love people, and I want it to show up in my checkbook. I want to show up in the way that I lend stuff and give stuff out. For those that live that way, listen to what God says. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 9, starting verse 8, says this. To those who live that way, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly. First of all, that's really cool. <laughs> he's able to bless you, not just a little bit, but he's going to bless you, right? Scores abundantly. Listen to this. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered the gifts, right? It's, it's that picture. They freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in some ways. Is that what it says? You will be enriched in every way. You'll be enriched in every way so that it's the purpose clause, by the way. When you see that, it, it talks about the why. Why will you be enriched in every way? So that you can be generous 
on every occasion and through, the, and the, through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. You reap what you sow, so sow extravagantly. Be abundant, abundantly generous. God is generous to us so that we can be generous to others, so that we can give to others. You see the connection here, right? When God entrusts us with money, when we get a raise, when we get a gift, when we get a paycheck, have income, when we do budgeting, maybe we should step back and remember this, these words because when we get those things, I understand, I do the same thing, right? But when I get a raise or I get a paycheck or I get whatever, my first and natural inclination is like, it's for me, right? It, this is given for me so that I can just live extravagantly, so I can enjoy whatever, you know, on and on and on. It's all for me and mine. And God says, you need to flip that sucker on its head because it could not be more wrong. Uh, you will be enriched in every way. He says, yes, it Yes, to take care of your needs. He's not, he's not denying it. Yes, to take care of your needs. But I'm giving you this stuff so that you can be generous in the way that God has been generous to you. So that you can sow extravagant seeds of generosity to those around you. Could it be that God has entrusted you with resources, you with possessions, you with gifts and time and everything else? Could it be that he's, he's given them specifically to you for people and for situations around you? So this passage is saying, you're blessed to be a blessing. God is generous to us so that we can be generous to others. Friends, I'm hitting this one pretty hard. I get it. But uh, I don't know. Like I said before, like, yes, of course, he gives it to us for our enjoyment. The Bible talks about over and over that every gift that's given to us is given to us for our enjoyment. It's meant to be received with thanksgiving, right? Like, man, this is from you, and I'm here to enjoy. Of course, that's part of why stuff is, is, is entrusted to us when it's given to us. But I don't think we're in danger of missing that, are we? I mean, I think, I think that's how we almost always receive things of, oh yeah, this is for my joy and for my purpose and my whatever. So that's why I'm pushing back on the opposite saying, yeah. And he says, yes, you'll, I'll give you what you need and more. But that's that more is given so that you can bless others, so that you can give. Because that's good stuff. It's more blessed to give. It's better to give. To give. Alright. Yeah, I'm running out of time here. Um, I will just mention as well. I think I've got one more scripture again. The Matthew one up there. Jump ahead. Yeah. I'm always, this is always a touchy subject to preach on because money is so close to our hearts, right? And I want to say, this isn't some manipulative ploy by me or by God to try and control your money or that kind of thing. To be honest, spending issues, giving issues, generosity issues are always tied to the heart. And God cares so much about your heart. He cares about your life. He cares about what's most important to you because it reveals what's number one. It reveals so much and impacts so much about the quality of of your life and even the direction of your life and your dream. And so God says again and again and again, 2,200 plus times throughout the pages of Scripture, that life is about giving. Right? That if you and I want to grow as Christ followers, if we want to step into the life that God has for us, we're going to have to learn this 
value, this priority of generosity. It's a big deal. I wonder what your life and what my life says about this. I wonder what it reveals about who we are. Are we people that, yes, when the guilt meter gets high enough or when the cute little kid comes to our door, yes, we'll take a seed of generosity and we'll plant it and we'll step away. But are, are we sowing? Are we investing our lives like that? Or are we scattering seeds of generosity abundantly throughout our lives? Is, is it, are our lives marked by that? Because that, according to God, according to 30 years of research, right, and according to 6,000 years of biblical wisdom and direction and truth, that is where the good stuff is at. Okay, a couple application steps will be done for the day. First one I'll just mention is this. Um, uh, I think one of the primary ways, as, and this is for those of us that are Christ followers, those, that have, those of us that have opened up our hearts to Jesus and we've received his forgiveness, we've received his generosity to us, and we have responded in faith and said, you know what, I'm in, God, I'm following you. So, so this is for you, right? This, those of you that are, haven't yet made that decision, you can feel free to plug your ears for a minute, okay? No, 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 no. But for those of us that are Christ followers, I think one of the ways that God breaks the grip of materialism in our hearts, one of the ways that, that he stretches us and teaches us to put our faith and hope in him, one of the ways that we grow significantly is when we, when we choose to take our finances and we put them forward and say, I'm going to handle these the way that you say. One of, the, one of the first things that he does, he says, okay, I want you to, I want you to tithe. I want you to take the first 10%, the first fruit. Sometime we'll talk about this more in depth. But it's a, it's a crazy kind of thing. But it's a, I want you to take that 10%, the first 10% of, of whatever you get, and I want you to give it back to me. I want you to give it back to God. It's why we take offerings. It's when we consider it part of worship. It's a way of saying, I trust you, right? I'm so thankful for your generosity to me. I'm giving back to you. It's, another, it's, it's a way that we say, I'm going to put you in the number one spot in my life. Tina and I have practiced this. We've done this our entire married life. Uh, 20 years, in fact, uh, we've been practicing this. And it's crazy because it, the math doesn't add up. Because you think, if I have 100% and that's not enough, and all of us probably feel that way to some degree, but if I have 100% and I take 10% out, how in the world could I possibly live on 90% when I couldn't really make 100% work before? Can I just suggest to you, it's this crazy cool God math. Because when we choose, I'm serious, because life First of all, because life is more about giving back to God and worship. It's more about giving to others. It's more about that than it is about giving. But when we choose to put God first and we, we take the first 10% we give back to him, God does more with the 90% than I could have done with 150% before. I can't tell you how many years for us this has been the case where we have, uh, we have at the end of the year, you know, getting ready for your taxes and all that kind of stuff. And we look at our sheets and our expenses and, and our giving and everything else. And we step back and we're like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but God made it all work. We've seen him provide. We've, God, we want, I mean, we don't make enough that we, we feel like we can handle this all on our own, right? And so this is a way, and we're like, we want God to be our financial planner, right? <laughs> and God does amazing things. He provides in unbelievable kind of ways. He takes great care of us. He the same for you. There's one word that always comes that's, that's paired throughout Scripture when he starts talking about giving and tithing and putting him first in your finances. You know what I guess that word is? 
blessing. You will be blessed. You will be provided for when we put him first. When we give rather than um, when we get. You will be blessed when you give. So I don't know. Maybe that's an area for you that God's nudging you and stretching you. Maybe it's time for you to step up. Maybe that's something you've never done before and it's scary to you. I get it. I've been there. Maybe it's, maybe it's an area that God said, you know what, what if you were to put me first and to start tithing, putting, putting this into practice in your life? The greatest indicator of any person's relationship with Jesus, one author said this week, is the level of generosity in which they live. It's true. Second thing, not only is this, this isn't just a one and done kind of thing. This isn't meant to be a, uh, hey, I, I did the tithe thing, and so check, I'm done, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a whole life, it's a sort of a whole approach to life kind of thing. And so not only are we gonna prior, do we need to prioritize and put God first, but there's other areas where there's people around us that are in need, and maybe God will nudge you this week. Maybe there's a, a coworker or a friend or a family member that's hurting. Maybe they got medical bills piling up. Maybe whatever, they're buried. Maybe they're, uh, oh, I'm forgetting my phrase. Maybe they have been pierced with many griefs, right? Maybe, maybe they're experiencing reality like that. And maybe God will nudge you this week to come alongside and to help this servant. Maybe he'll, he'll nudge you this week to bring a bag of groceries to somebody that desperately needs it. Or bring a meal over to somebody as a way to, again, because you love them, because you love God, you love them. Generosity is a lifestyle. I thought the, the words from Jesus are always challenging to me to give and to lend to people that you don't expect to, to, uh, to get paid back. How about this? Maybe God will let you this week to lend out some tools to somebody. Oh boy, now we're getting personal. Lend back some, lend out some tools to a neighbor or something that you're not even sure you'll get it back. Maybe it'll be to lend something more than that. Maybe it'll be financial. Maybe it'll be something that you have. But what if our whole lives started to reflect that sort of radical generosity that God calls us to? That hilarious kind of generosity that doesn't exactly make sense. When we, when we believe that life is all about this, but it's making an investment for eternity, saying, man, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to live my life for you that way. Third thing, and this is just quick, uh, November is the month that we do our compassion fund. We have a compassion fund here at Ignite, and uh, we get, I mean, I, we get crazy numbers of calls every week. Probably, I bet we average three to four calls a week. Do you think that's probably true? Uh, for, of, of people calling in asking for help and that the, the way that we, we help dozens and dozens and dozens of people throughout the year and that all that money comes from the compassion fund once a year we do an offering and we, we ask you uh, Ignite Church to pray about and to consider uh, what you what God might prompt you to give to help those sure inside the church but a lot most the majority of them by far are people outside the church that are just going through a rough a rough season a rough era and could use some help we buy groceries for people. Sometimes we'll help with a, uh, uh, an Amarin bill or a, something like that. We've helped with uh, getting people into some lodging. We've helped before, uh, you know, even getting some furniture or something for people from uh, from people in the congregation. But maybe this is a way. Maybe God will prompt you. Maybe you need to start thinking about how do I need to organize my budget this month? How do I? What do I need to to shift around to make some 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 room for this? Because. Maybe God's prompted you to give a generous offering, to, to take seed and scatter it and, and uh, give some money in the compassion fund as a way to serve people in our region that are in need. Fourth thing I'll mention real quick is this. 
maybe you uh, are, are kind of what I was describing earlier. Because maybe you're going through a season where you're experiencing financial pain in significant ways. You feel like you have been pierced with many griefs. And to be honest, it's just weighing you down. There's a load on your shoulder. Maybe, truth be told, you're like, man, I'd love to be generous, but I can't. I can't even pay my bills. I can't even see a way out. And I'll just say this. If that's you, two things. Number one, get a hold of me. Let me know. You can send me an email, a text. You can write out a communication card or something. Just let's get together. I'd love to help coach you and help any way I could. Uh, we've got a class that maybe we can even get you some of the materials for or whatever that we're doing right now. Um, it's a Dave Ramsey class uh, that's got great stuff that'll help walk you through the process of, of being overwhelmed by debt to months, months and years probably down the road to living a life of financial freedom as you walk out of debt and into a better financial path. The other thing I'll mention is on November Tuesday, November 7th, we're actually hosting right here a free simulcast. Uh, again, it's a Dave Ramsey's with Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz. It's called Smart Money, and it's going to talk about some of the very same things. If this is an area for you, why don't you sign up today? You can sign up on the app. You can sign up at the at the Welcome Center, uh, and we would love to help you walk out of uh, this painful era for you into a path and into a, a thing that leads to freedom and leads to increased levels of contentment and joy and generosity. Life, friends, is not found in joy, happiness, comes to the word. Let's close the prayer. God, I thank you for your extravagant and abundant generosity to us, Lord. We do not deserve it, but we are so thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, stepping out of the riches of heaven and into the poverty of this earth to live in a diocese so we could step into your extravagant generosity and grace. I pray, God, that you teach us as your church, that you teach us as your people to, to do the same, to follow your example, that we could take the riches that you have bestowed on us and we could sow them and cast them, seeds of generosity throughout our lives. Lord, may there be a wake behind us in our lives, a wake of generosity a wake of joy, even in our finances, a wake of contentment. As we recognize that, you have, that life is not about getting as much as it is about giving. God, would you form your heart in us? Would you teach us to sow hilariously 